0: I encourage you to turn in your copy of the scriptures to Titus chapter 3. Be looking at uh, verses 12 through 15. It'll be up on the screen, but as always, I think it's great to have it open because we'll refer back to it several times. Um, and you want to be good Bereans to see if what I'm saying matches with the word of God. Uh, truth be told, I was originally not scheduled to preach this evening, uh, but I was uh, inspired by Beth's funeral, uh, Elizabeth Tuck, to, to, um, to get on the schedule for this passage you know, many of us admired her boldness later in life, just how she would just boldly share the gospel with doctors or with strangers. Uh, some of you may not know, but uh, Larry and Annie Bain, I think it's we could say it give credit to Elizabeth and glory to God that they are here in large reason because of Elizabeth's boldness. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but she just met you in Walmart and asked you to pray for her, right, asked if you were a Christian. And if you had said no, she was going to share with you. But since you said yes, she asked you to pray with her, and, and that led uh, Larry and Annie to to seek out, okay, what church is she a part of? And, um, you know, I was just encouraged to hear, though, that she was not always this bold, uh, but, it's, but, you know, formerly more reserved, but grew in boldness uh, in the Lord. And having, you know, read through Titus, being in Titus, all I could think about is verse 14 that we'll read in a moment where we, you know, Paul says, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. And that gave me me hope that I too can learn and grow more, particularly in that area. So uh, let's read Titus chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Again, up on the screen if you need it. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. God, indeed, it is your grace that we need uh, in this hour. Lord, make us a people zealous for good works according to your purpose, Christ. You came and you, you lived an obedient life and you died the death that we deserve, that we might be made righteous and born anew and be zealous to be in partnership with you in doing good works. So may we, as sons and daughters, learn, and would you teach us this hour, open our hearts to receive, and it's in Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said, amen. Okay, so let's begin with the gospel up front. As we, as we talk about good works, it is very important that we get the order of things right. So Ephesians uh, chapter two, up on your screen, if you need it, uh, I keep pointing there, but it's right here. Uh, for by gra- it says this: For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So point number one is to be clear. To be clear, we are saved by the grace and power of God alone. It is not our own doing. Good works, then, are the result of God making us a new creation, not the cause of it. Our salvation is a complete gift, a complete gift. I won't get into the Greek grammar, but when he says that this is a gift of God, he's saying God's grace and even your faith is a gift of God. There is no ground for boasting before him because we are not saved by the good things that we do. Somebody say amen. We are not saved by the good things that we do. Some people have this false hope that at the end of their life that their their good will somehow outweigh their bad and that God will have pity on them and allow them into heaven based on their good outweighing their bad. But the bad news is that you can never do enough. You can never do enough. God requires complete righteousness, which is to say complete perfection. And in fact, he gives us the Ten Commandments, he gives us his moral law, so that we might realize how bad that we are, that we might realize that we cannot keep the law, and we need a Savior. Watchman Nee gives a a fun analogy of, you know, let's imagine that you have this clumsy servant in your household, and um, But you don't really know he's clumsy so long as he's sitting down. But as soon as you command him to get up and start doing something, I mean, he's clumsy as I'll get out. He's tripping all over the place, spilling, you know, the pots and pans. It is when we are commanded to, uh, to obey the law, to keep the Ten Commandments, that as soon as we start trying, we realize how wicked we are and how much we need a Savior. As well, um, God is the high King of heaven. One offense against an infinite, holy, and beautiful, and good God is enough to merit guilt uh, and punishment, everlasting punishment. But the good news, the good news is that God is a God of mercy and grace and that he sent his son to live a perfect, obedient life that we cannot live, that we have all failed to live, and then to die the death that we all deserve. God created us. We owe him our lives. And, uh, and, and he said that the penalty for sin would be death. And we all deserve that death, but Jesus did not deserve that death because he lived uh, an obedient, sinless life. Uh, he never sinned, but he chose to die for our penalty. Uh, and God, being a just judge, is not going to require two payments for the same crime. Jesus has already paid it for So you can receive Christ and what he has done, his payment, and you can be guilt-free, and, in, and even furthermore, uh, he credits us with Christ's righteousness. God credits us with the righteous life of Christ. That, that perfect, obedient record is given to us, and God is pleased with us as a result. This is great news. This is, this is the gospel. This is beautiful. And it's not like God you know, just allows himself to be fooled here. He planned all of this, uh, that he might give this all to us as a gift. And the result of him giving us Christ's righteousness is new birth. It's a new life, a new life that is zealous for good works. you being that we have been declared righteous, that, we, that he looks on us and sees Christ's record. He, the, Holy Spirit can, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God can come and live in our hearts because we are, we are righteous in Christ. Uh, so he makes us new by living in us such that we want to obey God, we want to please him because we love him, and we are grateful for all that he has done for us. Amen? And I would say even that if you don't have the desire in you to please God, to express your love and your gratitude to him, that I believe it is legitimate of me to question whether you have been reborn at all. And so I would plead with you to repent, to stop trusting in your own good works, hoping that your good outweighs your bad and to believe that Christ's life and death is enough to satisfy your penalty, and to make you pleasing with God, uh, pleasing to God. And the Bible says that if you if you confess this to God, if you agree with Him, if you confess from the heart, if you agree with Him about these things, that you will be saved. And so I would invite you even now that if you have not been made right with God, let me pray, and I would exhort you to to cry out to God even now. So let's pray, Church. Father God, we are wicked on our own the law reveals that. Maybe some of us haven't seen that yet, but Lord, we, our hearts are desperately sick, and we need new life, and so I pray for those right now who have never given their life to you, Lord, that they would um, not be able to resist your irresistible call, you, you calling them to yourself, and that they would receive this great gift of righteousness, of their penalty being paid, and being righteous, and being called sons and daughters, and being adopted into your family. Lord, we love you, and we pray that you Pray your blessing on, on all here. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the order. We've got to get the order right. Good works flow from a born-again heart and give evidence to it. Now, what are good works? Now, this may be something that for those of us who have grown up you know, are in the church, in the faith, uh, that we may take this term for granted, but I think it's helpful to, to, to pull back for a moment and ask, what are good works? What does the Bible say that good works are? What is a good summary of that? And this is from the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, question number 91. A question, uh, catechism is simply a, a, a teaching tool. I ask you a question, you, you memorize the answer. It's a way of, uh, of uh, growing in the faith and, and learning the faith. So the Heidelberg Catechism answers it this way. What are good works? Those only which proceed from true faith and are done according to the law of God, unto his glory, and not as such as rest on our own opinion or the commandments of men. Let's break that down a bit. First thing it says here is that it, um, good works proceed from true faith. They proceed from true faith. Again, believing that God is already pleased with you in Christ and you're not seeking to earn his approval. The motivation matters. I'm not doing good works because I want God to be um, I want his approval, I need his approval, but I believe he's already give it, given it to me as a gift in Christ, and, um, and the good works I do proceed from that heart that is set at rest, believing that he is already satisfied with me in Christ. Second thing it says here is that um, uh, good works are done according to the law of God and not as such as rest on our own opinion or the commandments of men. In other words, it's considered good according to God's standard. Good according to God's standard, not our own. We live in an age where we are—we uh, think we can redefine everything. Uh, where we're redefining good and evil, and a boy and girl, and everything. I mean, we're just—we don't know our left from our right. Uh, but it, to call something good is means it is good according to what God says is good. He is our Creator. He's the one who sets the standard, and we can sum up. Um, God's law by saying, you can look at Romans 13, which I have in your, in your notes here. You can look at those verses for reference later. But the, Romans 13 says that the law is summed up in the command to love your neighbor, um, that God's law always expresses itself as love for neighbor. Love is fulfillment of the law. And thirdly, it is to the glory of God. We do good works to make him look good, not to make us look good. Yeah. Amen. Now, good works, if you want to sort of define them by example, I'd say that it's a, it's a huge range. I mean, you, you can apply this definition, and, and really you can apply it to almost anything. Uh, it ranges from, from, from missions to motherhood, from the, from the glorious thing that we might hold up to, to, to a high standard and applaud to, to the mundane, everyday uh, uh, activities of, of parenting. Um, it can include praying for someone changing a diaper, wiping a nose, sharing the gospel, giving encouragement, giving a gift, giving a warm greeting, dying a martyr's death, or as Jesus puts it in Matthew 10, whoever gives even one of these little ones a cup of cold water because he is my disciple, you will not lose your reward for that. And most certainly, our jobs include manifold good works. That is the arena where God has placed you to be his his agent of of good in the world, of, of being salt and light. So, a few things to notice from Titus 3 uh, regarding good works. We'll get into the passage now. First of all, as, as I've already hinted at, good works are learned. Good works are learned. And I, I just love this because it, 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 what is implied here is that we are sons, and we are being raised up to be like the Son, to be like Jesus. The Father is raising up us sons to be like His Son. And so it is truly okay to fail and to make mistakes, to stumble, because our, our salvation is not riding upon that. There is, there is real freedom because of the gospel. Uh, we're not justified by works, and so it's truly okay to fail, but it is not okay to not try. Uh, we are being trained constantly. We've seen that that word a couple times here in in Titus, that we are being trained in in good works. I was listening to um, John Piper recently, and he just sort of made this offhand comment about uh, how to to view this life, and it's really been shaping my perspective lately, and it's one of the reasons why I had uh, asked him to read from Psalm 90. He said, the the world, the unbeliever, sees this life as 80 years of pleasure, 80 years of pleasure-seeking and then you die unto an eternity in hell. But for the believer, this life is 80 years of affliction, being trained for eternal glory. We are training for something better than the Olympics. And when you train for something like the Olympics, you, you expect that to be hard, right? It is, it is grueling. It is exhausting. It, you spend yourself because you're seeking after something better. And so... You know, th- this life is, uh, you could read this alongside Hebrews 12 and just see how God is, is training us up for glory. We're, we're in, the, in the, his gymnasium, so to speak, um, learning, being, being raised up as sons, being, being trained. Number two, good works begin with an attitude of the heart. Good works begin with an attitude of the heart. It's a heart posture. I Notice it's, it's not learn to do good works, but it's learn to devote yourself to good works. And if you look up this word, devote, it's literally to stand before, to stand before good works, to be over them, to preside over them, to give attentive care to good works, to maintain them, to rule over them. It's the same word that he uses earlier when he talks about an elder ruling over his household. It is a a constant attention over good works, directing them, managing them, which is all that to say it's more of a mindset than a one-off. It's more of a mindset than a one-off. Uh, John, last week when we were in, uh, in chapter 3, verse 1, talking about being ready for every good work, uh, he said something like this. He says, when I start the day eager to serve God, ready to cooperate with Him in whatever He sends my way, then He uses me, and it's a good day. But when my mind is engaged with anything other than the Lord, I miss opportunities left and right. Has that been your experience? certainly been mine. Number three, good works are done in partnership with God. Good works are done in partnership with God. Uh, notice in, in, in verse, uh, verse 12 when he said, I send Artemis or Tychicus to you. Do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Notice Paul is making decisions. He's using his brain. He's, he's not a robot. It's, you know, I love the way Alistair Begg puts it. Be, beware of those who are more spiritual than the Apostle Paul, who want to tell you that God told them to do this, and God told them to do that, and God told me to eat this flavor of Cheerios this morning, and, and God sent me to do this. And, and I'm not saying that never happens, but when, when, when someone is saying every, uh, every other sentence that God told them to do this and told them to do that, You might want to be a little beware of that because the Apostle Paul himself is making decisions with his own mind. And, uh, you know, in Scripture there's this this parallel relationship between human agency, human responsibility, and divine sovereignty. And the Bible doesn't make much attempt to to harmonize those things, but it teaches them both very clearly, oftentimes in the same passage. And uh, I don't know how it all works together, we'll find out in glory, but God is completely Sovereign. And you're responsible, and you're, God calls us to make decisions in keeping with, with his revealed will. Uh, but inviting us into partnership is to say, you know, a partnership is working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. God has said, come follow me. Come follow me in this work of the Great Commission, and let's accomplish this together. And how beautiful and great and glorious is that? This has been his goal for us from creation. He created Adam to, to work the garden and to tend it and to, and to watch over it and to be a partner with him uh, over, this, over keeping this world and being fruitful and multiplying his image in the world. But in, we know that the fall broke that partnership, but in Christ, in the new covenant, that partnership is renewed. Number four, good works are done as part of a team united in one mission as part of a team united in one mission. Notice that there's several players here in this passage. Isn't it great how this, this is just closing exhortation, but there's so much here. Uh, we see uh, you know, all these people united in mission. We, we hear about Artemis and Tychicus and Zenos and Apollos and, and the people in Crete are addressed. And, and, of course, Titus and Paul is writing. All this to say, it, it's not Paul's show. It's not Titus's show, and they know that. But they as a team are accomplishing this mission, and we likewise, our team, sent on mission. And notice that it is people who are needed for this mission. People are the supply. He's asking for him to send people, and the people are to be supplied. Notice where he says, see that they lack nothing. So some of your good works, church, are equipping others for their good works. And again, it can range from, from missions to motherhood, from missions where you are supporting a missionary, praying for a missionary, helping to send them overseas, as, as, as we did Brother Bill, um, or, or long-term missionaries, or you know the mundane, encouraging a mom, offering advice, offering to watch the kids and give a break. Some moms say hallelujah, amen, right? Um, but we have different roles, and some are known more than others. And um, in light, in, along with that, number five, Good works are seen by God, even and especially when seen by no one else. God sees. God sees. Earlier we read that if you give a, a, even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, that you will not lose your reward. Matthew 6:4 says, Matthew 6 says over and over, "Your Father who sees in secret, will reward you." You know, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 to beware of doing things like giving and fasting and praying in front of others where you're tempted to perform and to impress others and gain a reward there. Um, rather, we are to do good works with hearts lifted up to the Lord, knowing that he sees and he rewards. That ought to be a consolation for somebody. There are two otherwise unknown individuals here in this passage but better believe it. They are known to God. We, we, we read of Tychicus elsewhere in Colossians 4.7. We know he's a fellow worker with God. We read of Apollos in a couple other places, including in Acts and 1 Corinthians. You know, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. We know about these guys, uh, but Artemis and zenus who in the world are they? Um, This is their only mention in the Bible, and we we know nothing about them aside from what is written written here. And while they may be no names to us, they are most certainly not no names to God. And we can say that of ourselves likewise. Consider this. The majority, the great majority of the work in the kingdom is accomplished, is carried out by relatively no-name people. Maybe they're, they're known to us. They're known in, in our circles. Uh, but by and large, they are no name. You know, the world does not know Amy Edlin, but God is carrying out the kingdom through Amy Edlin. The world may not know Ed Johnson, but God is advancing his kingdom through Ed Johnson. The world may not know you. Most people may not know you. Most people here may not even see you even. But God sees you, and God is carrying out his kingdom through you. Praise God for that, for that pleasure. You know, First Corinthians 12 through 14 uh, speaks of the body, that we, we tend to give undue attention uh, to the parts of the body that are seen, but mo- the most important works of our body happens, you know, where nobody sees, right? Don't even think about what's going on inside of here, and that's the most important stuff. This gets a lot of glory, I know, <laughs> but that's not the, what's doing most of the work. Number six, good works require our effort. Good works require our effort. Twice in this passage, in the first two verses, he says, do your best. Do your best. Do your best to send this person to speed Zenos, even to speed him, to have some some urgency in in getting him. I love in uh, the book of Nehemiah where it says, it says of the people there building the wall, it says that the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. Our effort, our sweat, our work for the Lord is worship unto the Lord. Beware of the lie or the expectation that the mission of God, that this Christian life is supposed to be easy. It's Quite the contrary. Remember, 80 years of affliction. We are expected to give our all and to be exhausted at the end of each day. We spend ourselves as an act of worship to the Lord. I know I need to remember that. I encourage you to remember that too. Number seven, good works are fruit. They are fruit of grace. Uh, you know, see that in verse 14. You know, Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. I won't belabor this point because we've already gone over it in Ephesians 2, talking about how good works grow out of a life that is transformed by grace. But I will say, if you want fruit to grow on your trees, then soak them in grace. Soak them in grace. Continually stand before the gospel, marveling at Jesus Christ and all that he is and all that he has done for you. And that will transform you, and you will bear fruit from that union, from that fellowship. Number eight. Number eight. Good works spur us in growth and sanctification. They spur us in growth and sanctification. Good works are hard. They are hard, and so they spur us to seek God, to cry out to God for his help. When you're up in the middle of the night trying to get your daughter to go back to sleep after this battle <laughs> that's being waged, it is so hard, and you need the Lord. And, and, and manifold examples, we need the Lord to do uh, his work. As John said last week, you need God to do godly things. You need God to do godly things. And that is one reason why we exhort you in good works all the time. It's One reason why God exhorts us in good works all the time is that we might seek him and that we might have fellowship in the seeking and growth there as a result. Number nine, they knit us together in brotherly love and affection. Knit us together in brotherly love and affection. Uh, Notice verse 15, it says, all who are with me send greetings to you, greet those who love us in the faith. People who don't even know him, but have prayed for him. Good works knit us together with those whom we serve, and they knit us together as well with those whom we serve alongside. I'll give you an example. Uh, The week of Academy Day, man, I was so looking forward to Academy Day. Uh, just lots of preparation, and just, I just love the whole idea of just pulling away and just hearing some solid teaching for a day and, and just the fellowship that comes along with learning alongside one another. But I, was, I got strep throat that week. I was diagnosed with strep and was just feeling awful. And, um, and I, I, I was laying in the bed and had come home early from work, and um, I don't know why, but Barbara Tuck came to mind. And Barbara is one who I know is one who is faithful in prayer, you ask her to pray for you, and you can be sure that she will do it. And so I texted Barbara, and I asked her to be praying for me, that I would get better. And um, the first, first thing that happens when I see Barbara on, on that Saturday morning of Academy Day, what does she do? Comes up and gives me a hug. Those good works had knit us together. It had knit her to me um, by praying for me. She had served me, and it, and it drew her closer to me and me to her. And as well, we, we are knit together with those whom we serve alongside. Uh, Those who you serve with, who you work with, do they not often become your closest friends? Is there not fellowship there in the serving? Uh, Number ten, they meet urgent needs. Good works meet urgent needs. He says, let the people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need. This is not to send us into a panic as we think about urgent needs. But as Tim put it a couple weeks ago, God sets us at rest in him and he sets us in motion at the same time. But we should consider that the needs are urgent. I could trouble you with how many are dying and going to hell every day. With how many unreached peoples there are in the world who have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ with how many lost people there are in our county, with how many kids there are who are stuck in the foster care system with no, no place to call home, with how many abortions have been committed in our land since 1963 or even in the past year. And I've done this before, but suffice it to say, the needs are urgent. People are needed everywhere to stand in the gap, to represent people to God, to be the voice of God, the hope of God, the hand of God. The needs will drive us crazy if we take time to stop and to think of them. But that's not my aim here is to drive us crazy. Uh, I'll simply say this, be available to God. Be concerned and do something. Make yourself available to God. Be concerned and do something. In closing, have you entered into partnership with God? Have you received that call that says, come, follow me? Have you been reborn into that living hope? Have you surrendered yourself up to him, made yourself available to him, to be used by him however he would would spend you, wherever he would choose to send you? I would invite you, as we close, to, to bow your head and to offer yourself up to him afresh, wherever you're at. Offer yourself up to him afresh. Have you gotten the order wrong when it comes to good works? Are you you frustrated with trying to be good on your own? With making yourself approvable to God by your efforts? Jesus says, come to me. Come to you who are weary and who are burdened by the law, and I will give you rest. I will receive the gospel, receive grace, that you are forgiven, that you are righteous, that you are my son, you are my daughter, and you're mine, and nothing can change that. But he also says there to... To yoke up with me, to 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 partner with me, to be again to be set at rest and to be set in motion with him. We'll close as Paul does here by saying, Grace be with you all. Grace is what we need to accomplish the mission of God. And grace is what is promised for any who would receive and rejoice in it. Let's pray. God, how good you are, how great and how glorious and how beautiful. Jesus, we are nobodies, and yet you have sought us and pursued us and said, Come, follow me. And Lord, we have heard that call. Pray we hear it again tonight. Lord, thank you for the pleasure of being part of your mission with you. Lord, help us as we learn. And would you send us and use us and bless your name through our lives.